Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. In this episode, you're going to get excellent information and strategies to help with hyperemesis gravidarum from Kimber McGibbon of the Hyperemesis Foundation. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Well, hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 219. Whether you are a new listener or a returning listener, I am so grateful that you're spending some of your time with me today. 
In today's episode of the podcast, we have Kimber McGibbon. She's a registered nurse who experienced hyperemesis gravidarm twice and struggled to receive proper treatment and cope with the long-term health issues it caused. The experience fueled her determination to alleviate the suffering and losses faced by families dealing with HG. In 2000, she established hyperemesis.org, a comprehensive website on HG, which later evolved into the nonprofit charity, Her Foundation, in 2003, with the assistance of Anne Marie and Jeremy King. The Her Foundation has since taken the lead in advancing hyperemesis gravidarm research, advocacy, awareness, and education. And through collaborative research efforts, it has helped identify genetic factors which may contribute to HG and also dispel many misconceptions about the condition. We have a really informative conversation about how hyperemesis differs from morning sickness and exactly what hyperemesis gravidarum is, how long it can last, what are potential complications, what are strategies to approach treating it, what are some over-the-counter options, what are prescription options, what are some complementary medicine options. Also, if you had it in a prior pregnancy, how likely is it to recur? Um, are there any research things being done for hyperemesis? Just tons of great information in this episode. If you've ever ever struggled with hyperemesis or even nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, you will definitely find this information useful. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to tell you one of the things about hyperemesis or nausea and vomiting in pregnancy is that sometimes it can feel a little bit isolating, especially if it's severe, if it's hyperemesis. And one of the ways that you can feel less isolated is by joining community. So I would love to have you join my virtual community, the All About Pregnancy and Birth Inner Circle community on Facebook. It's a free Facebook group. It's open to anyone who's trying to get pregnant, currently pregnant in that early postpartum phase. Also, if you work in pregnancy and birth, definitely feel free to come. It's a community of just supportive, um, encouraging folks and no, you know, hazing or craziness or nonsense. I don't tolerate that sort of stuff in my community. So check it out. Come join us. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Dr. Nicole Rankins, or just search for my name, Dr. Nicole Rankins, or search for all about pregnancy and birth inner circle, and you'll find it there. All right, let's get into the episode with Kimber from the Hyperemesis Foundation. Thank you so much for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you about this important topic. I am excited to be here and thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, so why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your work and your family if you'd like. Okay. Well, I'm a registered nurse and I'm the executive director of the HER Foundation. I've been a nurse for over 30 years mm -hmm. and I have two children and a foster daughter. Aww. And um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. My first child was a honeymoon surprise. <laughs> and <laughs> so about four weeks after we got married, uh -huh. I began getting sick and okay. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I thought, right. oh, I must have a stomach ulcer because it's been very stressful. I just started grad school right. and had just got married. And so it was a lot of stress. So right. I'm like, I'm just have a stomach ulcer, you know, right. a little too much alcohol on the honeymoon, you know. <laughs> so I go to my doctor and go, hey, can you give me something? I've got another stomach ulcer. She's like, 
you're pregnant. And I'm you're like, like, what? No. <laughs> but at that point, I'd already been feeling really sick. So I ended up going to see a midwife. Uh-huh. And by the time I got in with her, I'd already started vomiting mm. and being and really nauseous, not able to eat much. Right. And my husband brought home a, a garlic pizza and that oh. pretty much set me off. Okay. You were like, wow. So, yes. no, no. So I went to the doctor and the, the midwife was like, this is an unconscious rejection of your pregnancy. You were planning to wait two years to be pregnant. So you're trying to vomit up your pregnancy. That is why you're sick. I'm not joking. Oh I'm not joking. My God. And I felt horrible because I was like, I'm rejecting my child. Like that is awful. And I'm thinking oh. to myself later months down the road, after I felt horrible for months, I realized I was like, but wait a minute. I went to the doctor thinking I had a stomach ulcer. Right. Pregnancy wasn't even on my mind. Right. Like, right. you know, I, it was kind of a miraculous that he's here, but like, I couldn't believe he, like, it was just very strange. But unfortunately that's what a lot of moms are told when they develop pregnancy sickness of some sort there. It's psychological. It's mm-hmm. something that you're causing yourself. Mm-hmm. So I went through that pregnancy and struggled a lot. Um, I didn't, I weighed less when I delivered than when I had, when I got pregnant and I was normal weight, normal BMI, ideal body weight when I got pregnant. And then when I was four months pregnant, my goals for the day were to try and get 500 calories down to maybe sit up unassisted for 15 minutes. I mean, like I was completely bedridden and I weighed what I weighed when I was 12 And yeah, I weighed about 116 pounds at four months pregnant and my normal is around 135. Right. So I was not in good condition. And, um, you know, I look at, think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like just the basics, like we didn't do any of those, you know? So it was really, really traumatic and very scary. I thought I was going to die. I thought my baby was going to die for my entire pregnancy. So it was very, very hard. And I couldn't believe that. There was nothing that anybody would do. I get some IV fluids, uh-huh. no vitamins. I didn't have vitamins my entire pregnancy. There were times during my pregnancy where I'd have a, a relief enough that I could eat for some period of time and right. gain enough weight. So I eventually gained 14 pounds, which was great. <laughs> um, but I had a nine-pound baby. And so basically I weighed less after I delivered. And um, and my wow. baby had a lot of neurodevelopmental delays and a lot of um, – so I had some health issues and yeah, so it was a very, very rough start, um, definitely oh to a marriage gosh. and also yes. just to yes. just to to life in general. Yes. So yeah, so it was very, wow. very hard. And unfortunately, this is not all that uncommon. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that was kind of my beginning. You know, uh-huh. I, I was looking back over the years and thinking, you know. Uh, I was a healthy person who went to the gym. Mm-hmm. I ate organic, natural mm-hmm. foods, was very, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm looking at myself during my pregnancy going, I can't eat anything except ice cream and white bread right. and, and, you know, this, sometimes fruit, right, and just, you right, know, right. terrible food. So, oh yeah, so, so, you know, it was just really, really tough and I couldn't figure out how anybody could possibly, you know, not have something to, to be able to manage something so sure. horrible, but sure. it, it was, it was it was very hard. So, yeah, so that's, and then I went on to have one more child uh-huh. and then my doctor's like, yeah, don't do this again. Okay. So did it, did you have trouble the second time yes. as well? Okay. Yes. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. So she said, nope, you should not do this again. So I have my two children and, and, um, you have your two children. Okay. And now I have children all over the world from other families that uh, call me grandma now or mom or (laughs) something. I'm like, yeah, let's not go for the grandma quite yet. (laughs) I'm not quite ready. ready. So then how did that experience lead you to the Hyperemesis Foundation? Well, so there, when I went online looking for information, mm-hmm. I'm a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about hyperemesis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew what the word meant, mm-hmm. but I didn't know anything about it. So I looked in my textbooks from school, mm-hmm. and the, the, the information was very minimal. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I'm going to find out about this. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one support group online, mm-hmm. and there just wasn't much out there. Right. And so I started doing reading mm-hmm. and I started, I actually went all the way back to the 1700s reading all the wow. research because they're really, yeah, all the research and I would pull up medical textbooks mm-hmm. from different years, mm-hmm. like Williams obstetrics mm-hmm. and things like that, all the way back to the 1700s. It was fascinating to go actually go to right. a medical library yeah. and pull these special books. You have to wear gloves right. to touch them. Right. They're like, you right. know, enshrined. <laughs> but to go back and look and see, and it used to be until the 1900s, HG hyperemesis gravidarum was what this condition is caused, uh-huh. called, and it it was considered a toxemia of some sort, uh-huh. that there was some kind of toxic problem in the body. Right. But around 1900, when Freud became popular, anything that was not explainable, especially with women, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> then it became something that was psychological. Mm-hmm. So around 1900, they decided that HG must be a psychological condition. So that's when they started treating it as such and locking women in psych wards and doing crazy stuff like that, giving them, you know, binding their hands and feet and right. dunking them in hot water and putting them putting leeches on them to oh um yeah right. i mean this these were the treatments right. in the 1800s right. yeah right. it was really really bad oh my so anyway but i mean i'm looking around going really there's not much out there mm-hmm. and zofran was just new to the market mm-hmm. so people weren't really excited about using that mm-hmm. but i did manage to score some of that because the er doctor took pity on me and his wife had hyperemesis okay. so he gave me zofran <laughs> right. and so i almost named my daughter zofran because <laughs> I'm like, so, <laughs> I tell her that still. I'm like, you could have been Zofrana right. because truly that was the only way that I, that she made it here. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. So when I couldn't find enough information mm-hmm. and I was taking information to my health professionals mm-hmm. saying, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. And most of them were like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. So I had to just suffer. And I'm like, this has to stop. Um, So I just said, I'm going to put this information. I'm going to research this and find out what what we can do to help women Uh and how we can support them. So when... Back in 1999, after I had my son, I ran across Dr. Marlena Faiso, who was doing a a survey on hyperemesis, working on some research because uh-huh. she had just lost her baby to hyperemesis, oh. and she said, "I'm going to determine a cause of this." Okay. And I'm like, "Well, I'm going to figure out how we treat right. this." So we we said, "We're going to we're going to connect." Right. So after I recovered, we connected. So we kind of joke around. We've known each other for like 24 years. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, but we uh, we met online that's kind of our joke uh-huh. online is our 24th anniversary <laughs> but anyway she's amazing she's a harvard trained scientist and so she we partnered to do research and i do a lot of the recruiting and help with the writing mm-hmm. and the the trial design and things like that but we've done a lot of research over the years together and so we've just o- 
over the years, I put online a, a website mm-hmm. and began developing tools yeah. and offering support and doing consulting with families and health providers and training educate doing training for providers and and then we also set up a referral network uh-huh. where people can submit their doctors right. and then that allows them to find doctors that are more likely because there is no specialty of HG sure. more likely to treat HG so that's what we have done and so I put that online and then a few years after I had been doing this a couple named Amory and Jeremy King uh-huh. came along and said you know Amory was literally dying mm. in Texas because she couldn't get the care she needed right. and she was having adverse reactions and so her husband reached out and they decided they wanted to help me make what I had done an actual nonprofit. So okay. they came in and made a nonprofit mm-hmm. and they kind of helped me get all the paperwork done right. and helped me get some of you know right. the foundational stuff done. Right. So yeah, so that's nice. been really great. And it's just been building yeah. our team yeah. with, you know, different people. We have an advisory council now, we have a board okay. and yeah, it's been really great. So we've been doing that for since 2000, so it's been 23 years. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. So let's get into hyperemesis or HG and let's talk about it a bit. So what is the difference between that and morning sickness? So hyperemesis, so nausea and vomiting in pregnancy is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So you have on the mild end of it, you have mothers that have, you know, morning sickness, which is more like you can, you know, rest Mm -hmm. and maybe avoid using the subway and take a car instead and eat more frequently and lay down and take breaks. And you can manage miserable but you can manage, mm-hmm. you can get through life. You might have to take a couple of weeks off from work during the worst of it, but for the most part, you can handle it okay. Usually you can get your prenatal vitamins mm-hmm. down, things like mm-hmm. that. But then, and you can eat a decent diet, right. maybe maybe select foods, but, but with hyperemesis, it's more that you can't eat and drink very much at all, mm-hmm. if at all. Um, you may go weeks to months without eating much, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you may eat 100 calories to 500 calories a day for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Food can be very aversive. You lack appetite. You lose all your muscle mass because you can't function. Mm-hmm. So you spend a lot of time in bed right. and you don't have any social life right. and you feel very weak and you just feel sick yeah. pretty much 24 yeah. seven for months. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot, about half of women have symptoms beyond the first tri- trimester. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. How long does it last? 
Yeah. So most people have symptoms beyond 13 weeks, okay. usually between 14 and 20 weeks, about half of women have their symptoms subside. Okay. And then the other half kind of gradually do towards the end of pregnancy or some of us, like for me, it was all nine months. Okay. I had like a couple of days in the middle where I was like, wow, I feel amazing. And I was very excited. And then it came back again. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. So, yeah. So about half will get better halfway through pregnancy, but then the other half, it could last longer, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the numbers vary between 20 and 40 percent, mm-hmm. um, but somewhere around mid-pregnancy, about half of women are, are pretty good to go. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. And you mentioned some of the potential complications. You said losing muscle mass. What are some other potential issues that can happen? Well, you know, the complications... Uh, the complications are largely preventable, I want to say okay. that, with good care. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important. Um, but you can have, you know, just, you know, almost everyone's going to have some level of depression mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. You might have acid erosion of your throat mm-hmm. um, and stomach ulcers from the acid. Mm-hmm. But then you can go into more severe things. Like you could have your esophagus rupture. You could have moms that commit suicide You have, and have moms that um, develop preeclampsia. And we have many fetal losses. We have a a number of terminations. They've gone down a lot since we've come along to help offer support, but there's still quite a few unwanted terminations, Mm -hmm. Um, tons of dental issues. We have women that have five, 10 root canals. We've had women come along who have um, that require dentures mm-hmm. and things like that because they've their teeth are completely yes, eroded. Right. Uh, we have a lot of electrolyte issues mm-hmm. and kidney damage, mm-hmm. kidney failure, heart issues. Mm-hmm. We even have women, the, very commonly we have women with severe thiamine deficiency okay. and that can manifest as heart issues like tachycardia right. um, all, and, and arrhythmias and things like that or even brain damage from the swelling of the brain from lack of thiamine. And so we try and have all moms be on vitamin B1 before they're pregnant and postpartum, (laughs) just live on it for a while. Gotcha. Yeah. It can be very um, serious, obviously. It can. We see it. We find about at least one mom every year dies in the, somewhere in the global Uh North, as far as the developed countries, we usually hear at least of one death. We've had some years where three or four mothers have died. And I would say that pretty, pretty many, pretty much all of them are preventable, you know? Okay. Yeah. 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 So So what are some strategies, like just two or three strategies to approach treating HG? So really the first thing that every family needs is to have a responsive doctor who thinks outside the box Mm -hmm. and having a plan in place. That's really important. Mm -hmm. But because with, you can make any medication plan you want, but unless you have a doctor on board who's willing to prescribe Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't help Mm -hmm. you. So we have all kinds of resources on our website to help them make a Mm -hmm. plan. But when they get down to making their plan, hydration is really critical. Mm-hmm. Without hydration, then your medications just don't work as well. But then when, once you have some hydration in place, getting a cocktail of medications that you take on a strict schedule mm-hmm. is just very, very mm-hmm. important. And so many moms are prescribed like Zofran twice a day when it has to be scheduled four times mm-hmm. a day and on a very strict schedule. And I can see moms go to the ER every couple of days for weeks and weeks and weeks because they're given Zofran twice a day. Mm-hmm. And I just think of all the medical care and the hassle and the stress and the, the cost to the family that could be preventive just by, just by giving medications at a, on a schedule, strictly on a schedule, <laughs> get up in the middle of the night to take them and, and taking them at the, at a higher dose that they yeah. need. Yeah. So. I, I, I have been 
frustrated at times that I've seen physicians describe it on a PRN so as needed basis. Oh, it's like no. it really needs to be scheduled or else mm-hmm. it, people get behind and then it gets right. really terrible. And I think another thing, what are your thoughts on like stacking medications? medications Absolutely. or a multi-modal approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are, the cocktail we find works the best and this is 23 years and living through two twice. <laughs> um, but the, the cocktail we find that usually works for a large percentage of women are mixing an antihistamine mm-hmm. of some sort with um, Phenergan or Reglan and a serotonin drug like Zofran or Ondansetron um, or Grenisetron, Kytril, oh, one of those okay. two. Yeah. Or even Mirtazapine. Some people will do, will not respond to Zofran mm-hmm. or Grenisetron, mm-hmm. um, but they will respond to Rimeron, Mirtazapine. So it really, you have to just keep trying all these different mm-hmm. options and different combinations. But also to that regimen, we would add an acid reducer and vitamin B1 and vitamin B6. B1 is something that most people don't know about, but Vitamin B1 only lasts two weeks, and when you're deficient in it, then you develop basically hyperemesis. You have nausea, vomiting, weight loss, um, abdominal pain, headaches, like all of that. And so when we have our moms come in and we get them started on B1 at the start of their pregnancies, they tend to do better. Because if you think about it, if you've got a B1 deficiency that's causing nausea and vomiting and you give them Zofran, they're not going to fully respond because you haven't treated the B1 deficiency. So if you treat both of them... Then you have then you have a better response to right. medication. So if you give them fluids, vitamins, and Zofran, they're going to do so much better. But you would not believe how difficult it is to get vitamin B1. I have I joke with people that it's a controlled substance because getting it. I mean, I have moms that are 16, 18, 20 weeks who haven't eaten in months, and they're told that the baby's going to get what it needs, and then the baby dies at 21 uh, weeks because 22 weeks somewhere in there, or they have a preterm yeah. birth because they're so vitamin deficient, yeah. and so it's all. Always, always, I guess it still doesn't shock me, but it just is very sure. hard to watch yeah. that happen over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you mentioned some of the prescription options. Are there any over the counter options that can be added? Well, the over-the-counter, definitely, I mean, the acid reducers are Mm -hmm. great. They're not a treatment for HG, but they definitely, like for me personally, when I took PPIs, the proton Mm -hmm. pump inhibitors, which are the medications like Prevacid and Protonix, Mm -hmm. those made the difference between whether I could and couldn't Mm -hmm. eat. Now, I still needed my Zofran, (laughs) but but those helped keep the acid down. Those are great. Antihistamines are over-the-counter. Those are great. And then, you know, some of the side effects from Zofran and the the serotonin meds are like constipation. And if you don't treat that, then you worsen the nausea and vomiting. And so those are over the counter, the Maxitrate and the Colace and things like that. Those are really helpful. And then, of course, the B1 and B6. Now, we do recommend benfotiamine because it's more absorbable than some of the other types of of thiamine. But getting moms to take a thiamine every single Mm -hmm. day that they can, if they puke it up, is non-toxic. Just keep taking it. (laughs) And if some moms can only do things like drink Coke, uh, they can't Mm -hmm. drink water, they can drink Coke. And I'm like, okay, well, you're, when you eat a lot of sugar, which most of us um, with nausea and vomiting like carbohydrates. And so when you have a lot of carbohydrates, you use up your thiamine very rapidly. And so we encourage moms, the more carbs you eat, the more thiamine okay. you take. So, okay. But all that over-the-counter stuff really does right. help. It's, it's not a sole treatment, but gotcha. it does help. Gotcha. What about any complementary, what are considered complementary medicine options like acupuncture or things like that? 
Well, I personally was very into holistic mm-hmm. medicine, even though I'm a traditionally mm-hmm. trained nurse, when I got pregnant. So I went through herbs, acupuncture, acupressure, Bowen therapy, like all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff, and um, homeopathics. And most of it did little, or if it did help, it was just like maybe took the edge off for part of the day, but nothing really took the edge off. And so what we find is on a rare occasion, acupuncture will be significantly Mm -hmm. helpful. Um, Hypnotherapy has also been Mm. tried. There are a few studies with with a few herbs, but not a whole lot. The smell of those can be extremely difficult. Um, So they're not really something that we can use a lot. So in general, I'm a huge fan of alternative medicine, but it just is not something that we focus on for hyperemesis. I wish, because sure. I would love for that, but there's just, there are a lot of studies out there, but just none of them um, any. can find yeah. anything that really, really works gotcha. for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so when people are on medicines, one thing I find, how do you make the decision to decide to, decide to like back down on your medicine and see how you're doing without the medicine. What are your recommendations around that? Well, I created this thing called the rule of twos. And so what we say is that once a mom is in her second Mm -hmm. trimester Mm -hmm. or later, and she's had two good weeks where she's eating well, her symptoms are, you know, really minimal and she's doing well, then we wean one medication at a time over two weeks. So that's my rule of twos. And so when people follow that, it's extremely helpful because moms stop drugs cold turkey. And if they've been on Finnergan for eight months, then they can have really nasty side Mm -hmm. effects. Um, Even acid reducers can have um, rebound acid from that. So, and the other thing is if you, doctors say, oh, you're, you're 20 weeks, you shouldn't need Zofran anymore. Mm, Yeah. So they just stop it and they don't give them another prescription. Then they go Mm -hmm. home and then they relapse. And then you, it's harder and harder to get it Mm -hmm. under control. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's why, but when they wean it over two weeks, when they get to a dose that they begin to relapse, they go, oh, stop and go back up to Mm -hmm. one level. And then they can stay on that level for a little while and see how they do. And then when they do it that way, they don't tend to have as many complications and relapses and they just generally do much better. I have never heard that in 20 years of being a physician. That's a great way to think about it. Yeah. We don't, we just don't get a lot of training about, yes. you know, hyperemesis and, yeah. um, you know, so I, it, it's just one of those things that we don't get a lot of training about. Like I said, right. I see a lot of folks do the whole like PRN, like you, you, we, we just don't do good about it. So I'm glad that folks are getting this information from you. Yeah. And we're developing an educational program we hope to roll out for physicians and health oh, nice, providers nice. Um, next year. Okay. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode, and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favorite to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. 
If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team cost and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the all about pregnancy and birth community. Now back to the show. So if you had HG in one pregnancy, how likely is it to recur in the next pregnancy? Um, Our research has consistently found over 75% of the time, 75, 80 plus percent of the time. Um, there occasionally it'll skip a pregnancy mm-hmm. and we think that's due to genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is some of the, uh, some research looks at only hospitalization rates and a lot of moms get home care and they figure out how to manage their medications better so they don't go to the hospital. So a lot of the, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, ones that find lower recurrence rates just look at hospitalization, Okay. but, but only half of women are hospitalized. So that doesn't really help. Sure. Sure. Um, okay. Give an accurate picture of the whole. Gotcha. Number. So it's almost certain that you're going to get it. I mean, not almost certain, but there's a very high yeah. likelihood that it's going to Very occur. high. Okay. Yes. So if that's the case, yeah. then how do you prepare for it the next time around? Well, preparing is really, really mm-hmm. important. Um, having, you know, a financial plan, planning your family so you don't have a surprise. Oh, financial plan. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And a social plan. Like you need to have, like, I didn't have family nearby mm-hmm. and I didn't have a lot of friends. My friends worked and because I just got married, I moved to the other side of town. So I basically didn't have any support mm-hmm. except in the evenings, um, in those, that little bit of time between work right. and bed. <laughs> so I was largely on my own. And when you can't drive for much of your yeah. pregnancy, you can't prepare food yeah. for yourself. We had to do things like put a cooler beside the sofa with, with snacks and drinks for me for the day. Cause I couldn't go right. in the kitchen because of the right. smells. So, um, yeah, so having a social plan, being financially ready, you know, checking out your insurance, knowing if it will cover home care, having a doctor mm-hmm. in place. Um, I'm a big fan, too, of labeling all your foods, cleaning out all your cabinets huh. <laughs> before okay. you get pregnant, um, because people are known to accidentally eat things that are not good, by, and they have a moment where they feel good, and they grab right. something, and they just eat it, because <laughs> it's like, I have a minute right. that I can eat, and then they get food poisoning. I had that happen when I was pregnant, and not a pleasant thing to have food poisoning Uh -uh. and hyperemesis simultaneously. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a big proponent of really being just cleaning out everything, stocking up on everything and being prepared. So we have a whole lot of prep information on our our website on doing that. Being really, oh, and the another thing is really being as healthy as possible. And some people detox and do hormonal balancing and some of the alternative and natural uh-huh. medicine ways of preparing their bodies. I'm a fan of all that. I did all that stuff the second okay. time around and it did right. help. Um, it didn't cure sure. my HG, but it okay. definitely helped. Okay. So, okay. you know, one thing I forgot to ask, you talked about home care options. What are some of the home care things that can help keep people out of the hospital with HG? 
Well, getting fluids. So you can have either just a regular IV mm-hmm. at home or you can have what's called mm-hmm. a midline or a mm-hmm. pick line. They, you know, the midline and pick line have a little bit more risk to them. But have, getting daily fluids uh, where you can, a lot of women do better if they get their fluids infused slowly. So if they can get them at home or they can just infuse a bag over, say, six hours as opposed to 45 minutes that you get right. in the ER. A lot of women with HG don't tolerate that. It makes okay. them sicker. So having daily fluids allows them to not have to sit and gag down, you know, fluid all day. Because one of the things with HG that people don't understand, this is a a very different way of looking at it than traditional. So when you have food poisoning, once you vomit, you Uh feel relief and your stomach begins Uh to settle and Uh you feel better. It's not like that Mm. with HG. The impulse is continuous. And so when you start to vomit, you can't stop. And that can go on for an hour. And so... Doctors don't really fully understand that. And so they say, well, just try a bite. But all of us with HG know that one bite is going to send you into a vomiting episode that's probably going to last for an hour. And so every time you take a sip of water, you start to gag. And the more you drink, because it doesn't process very quickly. A lot of times it sits in your stomach and then you just sit there and you gag and retch. And, (laughs) you know, and then so everything you do triggers nausea and vomiting, looking at the TV, reading a book, hearing noisy children, changing a diaper. So you're constantly on the edge of vomiting. So every time you put something Mm -hmm. in your mouth, it makes you want to vomit, which actually ends up causing some sexual issues within couples Mm. as well. So it's a big, it's a big trauma sure. trigger in yeah. so many ways. So doctors like just keep sipping, keep trying, and and yeah, you have to, but you also have to respect that for some women, drinking is going to make them vomit right. more than if you just give them ba- a bag of fluids and let them not have to torture gotcha. themselves gotcha. all day long. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it's a really great option. But they can also get IV nutrition mm-hmm. at home, or they can also get feeding tubes okay. at home. Okay. Um, okay. Feeding tubes can be kind of hard to tolerate, but for some women, they do work. I've also seen more people using Zofran pumps at home. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've... Yeah. So my Mm -hmm. personal opinion is they can be very helpful, but I love for people to try to max out all medications. And when I have moms getting Zofran twice Mm -hmm. a day and then going to a Zofran pump or... (laughs) yeah. Or, and you're going to love this one, but one of our big things that we've done for many, many years, like 17 years, will moms that are getting oral dissolving tablets, will use them vaginally instead of orally. Really? Yeah, I know. It, all the OBs love that. <laughs> and it works. I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that with, with like Prevacid right. or something, but you can do it with Zofran. Yeah. I yeah. learn something new every day. And it's really, okay. and it's very effective. And the, the, the strawberry taste of the Zofran ODTs. Uh-huh. Um, is horrible. And I know, like, I just didn't tolerate them very well, the taste of them. But then when I had a kidney stone, uh, they gave me one in the ER. And it just sat in my mouth because I was so dehydrated. And I was like, how do HG moms even get these to dissolve? Because there's like, my mouth was so dry. Um, I like literally puked it up and you can still see the markings on it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, (laughs) and they're like, I'm sure you got some of it. I'm like, "Uh, I can see it right here. (laughs) They're like, well, we can't give you more. I'm like, it's not a controlled substance. That's a four milligram tablet. I know that. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. So, but using Zofran ODTs vaginally, it can be a very effective way because moms will gag Uh at the taste of it and sometimes vomit before it fully dissolves or just not want to take it because it makes them gag. So that works great. Some of the, our, our moms call it hooching it, and they just love it, and they, it works <laughs> right, really right, great. Right, right, love it, so, love it. Mm-hmm. So is there any promising research being done to figure out what's causing this or better treatment options? Is there anything on the horizon? 
yeah, there are some there are some treatment options. There's stuff I can't talk about, Uh-oh, but there okay. are hardly <laughs> there's hardly anyone. There are only a few teams in the world that are doing any research mm-hmm. on HG because there's no funding. Yeah. Like we 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 get almost zero funding for our research. Okay. Even though we've been doing this um, and we're the only team in the United States that focuses on HG. Right. But and we're the we if you haven't seen our research, are you familiar with the GDF15 that we have in our research? No. Uh-uh. Okay. So, you know, we we just went to a medical conference and we're talking with an MFM who uh-huh. um, trains people about HG. We said, do you know what the cause of HG is? And he goes, I wish we knew. Right. And I'm like, wow, you're, a tr- you're doing training on this. And there is, we do know one of the causes. One of the predominant causes of HG was found by our research team, uh-huh. Dr. Faso, uh-huh. I mentioned early yeah. on. And the, the, there is a gene called GDF15. Okay. And um, when the body has any kind of organ trauma, stressor, or a tumor, uh-huh. or the placenta is growing because of a baby, then the body pumps out a hormone called GDF15. And so that hormone causes nausea and vomiting and weight loss and lack of appetite. And one of the major things it causes is massive taste aversions. So food that normally would taste good to you, like for me, like, you know, whole wheat bread tasted great when I wasn't pregnant. But when I was pregnant, it tasted like dirt and grass right. wrapped in I don't know it was so wrapped gross. in more I dirt like no yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. it just tasted disgusting right. and anything that tasted disgusting before like some fast food that I would never eat right. tasted like heaven right. when I was pregnant okay. can't explain it but that GDF15 hormone we now know changes all your your taste huh. and so women have bizarre taste needs like I needed my cheese cut in a certain way and the top part and the bottom part cut off the cheese because I could taste all the stuff in the refrigerator Okay. So it influences all of those sensory perceptions like that. Mm-hmm. So we're learning more and more over time sure. as to how it is. But my theory has long been that the worse the HG gets, the harder it is to control because mm-hmm. that's what I see. Mm-hmm. But now we think that because the more severe you get, the women that are hospitalized have higher levels of GDF-15. And so I think that women that get more severe have higher levels of this and therefore have worse taste aversions, more anorexia, more lack of appetite, right. and more nausea, abdominal pain, all of those kinds of things. Right. Uh, their guts move slowly, things like that. So all that begins to be an issue. Um, so, But we're working on a multi-ethnicity um, GWAS or genome-wide association study uh-huh. to look at the variants across different ethnicities. And we have, I'm, I don't know what the last count, Dr. Faso is the head of all that, but more, I think it's like eight groups or something like different countries around the world sure. um, trying to see if the variants are the same from one ethnicity to the other. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have the results yet. Okay. But we also have some other studies looking at hospitalization and other predictors of severity and other things that will determine if a woman will have HG more severely, longer, need hospitalization, things like that. So ultimately we can get testing and predictive predictive testing, things like that. Gotcha. I so, love it. That's really, yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. I had never heard of that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I forgot to ask for treatment. What are your thoughts on steroids to helping and helping treat HG? Well, my 
I have a both a, a very scientific <laughs> opinion and a non-scientific. So my my slightly unscientific opinion is when I look at steroids, I find that they kind of have a shotgun mm-hmm. approach on people. Like they affect so mm-hmm. many systems that they can be very unpredictable mm-hmm. in their side effects. So I tend to want to exhaust all the mm-hmm. serotonin drugs, um, mm-hmm. the Finnergan, mm-hmm. things like that before mm-hmm. I try steroids. And of course, we know that there's a very small risk of like mm-hmm. cleft palate mm-hmm. and things like that um, if you have if you take them mm-hmm. early in pregnancy. So we try to wait until like sure. nine, 10 weeks before we try those. But I like to see like one of the, one of the other things, like I have my rule of twos. I haven't found a way to put this mm-hmm. in a rule yet, but, but we like, uh, one of the things that we have found over the years is you have to try different mm-hmm. routes of medications, different schedules, different doses, all kinds of different options. And that can take mm-hmm. weeks to do that, but you, you evolve that very rapidly. It's not like, let's try right. this and wait two weeks, but you're constantly changing right. things one at a time to see what works. And once you've kind of exhausted all those different combinations of things, then if mom's still not doing well, steroids can be helpful. I would probably give it a 50-50 shot on whether it makes a huge difference. But for those, it helps. It can be very dramatic. And sometimes you can actually stay on a really low low dose for an extended period of time, just a few milligrams. But we also are finding some success with gabapentin. Okay, I've heard that. Yeah. 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 I've seen some kind of hormonal things happen with that. So I'm I'm a little on the middle on that. Mm. And I know there's some there's a potential for um, addiction. There's also a potential for safety issues because the higher the dose, the more it makes you feel high. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of challenges with it. Mm-hmm. But in lower doses, probably relatively safe. Sure. Um, all the safety data so far has been pretty positive. Right. But, um, you know, for those moms that are considering termination or really at the end of their rope, yeah. I really encourage that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as we wrap up, what is the most frustrating part of this work that you do? Well, you know, 23 years, thousands of patients working with them all across the world. Like I talked to moms in Zimbabwe, Japan, mm-hmm. you know, Estonia, like you name it. I probably talked to somebody in that right. country and the issues are the same. Right. You know, they yeah. can't eat, they can't drink, they have malnutrition, yeah. they're developing preventable complications, yeah. they can't get the treatment they need. And that's the most frustrating thing. Over and over and over, I talk to these women and I know what they need. Right. And I know what we can do to help yeah. them most of the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, we get moms that are really refractory to all treatment. Right. Um, but not being able to get them the care that they mm-hmm. need and not getting their doctors that we hand them resources specifically made for doctors and their doctors won't look at them and won't try yeah. things. And I think that's because I know, and I can watch this preventable pattern. It's like, okay, I know by 24 weeks, you're probably going to have either lost your baby or you're going to have preeclampsia, preterm birth or something. If you're not eating mm-hmm. by 16 weeks, mm-hmm. like I, it's, it's very, it's very predictive mm-hmm. um, for the majority of cases. And we have moms that lose a third of their body mm-hmm. weight, like over 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. I've had probably in the last six to nine months, I've had at least a half a dozen women lose 30, 40, 50, 60 plus pounds from HG. So it's really unfortunate. Yeah, that's heart. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 So then on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part of the work? Well, I mean, looking back and realizing that we've helped the termination rate go down by about 10% Mm -hmm. and seeing women, seeing like thousands and thousands of babies that we've gotten to walk through their pregnancies and moms coming back multiple pregnancies and coming back to help. And, you know, seeing that, that by them helping us, they help 
heal their trauma yeah. and just being able to support I me. Mean, like our website has reached two and a half million people wow. across the globe, right. 95% of the countries of the world. And seeing, you know, years of this as you were seeing the tide begin to turn mm-hmm. and uh, just seeing moms not have to suffer as much as those of us who, you know, in years past, you know, that didn't get care that we needed, seeing them not have to suffer as much trauma. And, you know, we really haven't talked about the neurodevelopmental issues, but the children, there's a high rate of neurodevelopmental issues, Mm. um, behavioral and emotional issues, long-term psychiatric issues, possibly long-term cardiometabolic issues. Um, But these are pretty life-altering for the families. Like our family, I mean, I won't get into the details, but like our family was no, like all other families did all kinds of things that we never did. We had special education, we had homeschooling, we had special programs, we had every kind of therapy you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I mean, it completely consumed our family and it was extraordinarily difficult. So being able to help these moms know what treatments to look for their children, how to navigate that. Just there's just so much that comes from so many years of doing this and being able to watch fewer families have to suffer mm-hmm. and have the trauma and the, the challenges that we did is just mm-hmm. like the best thing in the world. And then sure. moms, you know, for years will send me pictures of their children watching <laughs> them grow up. Right. And that is like my joy. Yeah. I have like a little, little families all over right. the world. And right. it just gives me some, I've got some babies in Kenya that call me grandma and, Aww. you know, just like they, they're just, oh, see, it's made me teary eyes. It yeah. just makes me so happy, you know, just it. to see that. Yeah. So. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So then what is your favorite piece of advice that you would give to someone who is struggling with HG? I, I really think that like really preparing for the worst of it and being very, very prepared Mm -hmm. and then hoping for the best and just really having a lot of support and structure in place so that you don't have to suffer. I mean, like having doctors and family and friends and Mm -hmm. enough financial support, all that, because the less of that you have, the more trauma you're going to have, the more stress you're going to have. And that affects not only mom, but baby and even the entire family. So I think that just being prepared is just this immensely important. Yeah. So please tell us what is your website? I looked at the website. There's so many great resources there. So what is, what is the website? So we actually have three URLs um, okay. you can find us at. So depending <laughs> on who you are, you can remember one of them. So <laughs> help her, H-E-L-P-H-E-R.org is kind of our mom URL. And then hyperemesis.org. And then also herfoundation.org. You can find out all three of those. And okay. um, uh, we have a section for mothers, for health professionals, and for families. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have our, all of our research studies are on there in full text. And then we have a tools page that talks all about our resources that we have for families for health professionals, and they're all written with our team of clinical experts on HG that we have a OBs, MFM, you know, we have a whole team of people. And so everything is very scientific and based on two decades of working with families. So very, very helpful and information you won't necessarily find anywhere else. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, please. And, and it really is great information. I'm certainly going to share it with <laughs> folks that that I know because it's a really great resource. Good, good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kimber, for agreeing to come onto the Absolutely. podcast. Thank this you for is having really me. helpful. Awesome. Yes, yeah, it's really helpful information. And I know it's going to help somebody not suffer so much with hyperemesis. Great. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. Wasn't that a great episode? Just tons of really informative and useful information for those who have hyperemesis. I really appreciate having Kimber come on. 
Now, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top takeaways from the conversation. And here are my Dr. Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Kimber. Number one, it is really fascinating to me how pregnancy changes you. I think pregnancy really changes us in ways that we don't fully understand. I find it really fascinating that once you become pregnant, you can certainly have, you can suddenly have rather uh, food aversions that you never had before. Suddenly smells can be really different. Even textures and things can feel different. And those things typically go away after pregnancy. So I just find it really interesting and fascinating. We have to be open to all of the possible things that can occur during pregnancy and the changes that can happen. Don't let anyone dismiss or you know belittle or, or minimize what you're saying about how you feel during your pregnancy. Because I really think that we just don't understand all of the ways that pregnancy changes our bodies, even changes our mental state potentially as well. All right. Second thing is that OBs, we don't really get a whole ton of training about hyperemesis specifically. We get some information about treating nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, but not necessarily a ton on treating hyperemesis specifically and diagnosing hyperemesis in pregnancy. I have not infrequently seen doctors who approach treating this the wrong way. Like for example, one of the important things is doing medications as we talked about in the conversation on a scheduled basis. You know, you want to stay ahead of getting things, you know, stay ahead of the nausea and vomiting so it doesn't get bad. And not infrequently I see doctors who don't understand that and and prescribe medicine on an as needed basis. Sometimes that's emergency room doctors because sometimes folks with hyperemesis will end up in the emergency room and it's emergency room doctors who aren't prescribing the medications correctly. Or sometimes it's OB doctors as well. So you definitely have to be proactive about your treatment and the options, which leads into the next point is that doctors don't often like looking at resources. Okay. They don't often like to, you know, be pointed out or, or, or made aware that, Hey, this other thing exists. Some doctors are open to things, but, but not all doctors are, you may have to say, Hey, can we try X, Y, and Z? You may not necessarily say that you read it, or maybe you do. You may say like, Hey, I found this website and this information. Would you be willing to try this particular approach to treating this and see if we can do things a little bit different? Actually, that's kind of a good test to see if you have a doctor who's open to learn new things, things change and evolve and we should all be open to learn new things and improve our practice and improve our, the way we approach medicine in order to take the best care of our patients. So if you approach your doctor with resources and They're like, well, that's not how we do things or that's not how it's been done. That's actually a sign that maybe you need to find someone who's going to be a bit more open to things. But, and I say all this to say that you should definitely go check out the resources that they have at their website, hyperemesis.org. It's tons of useful stuff like treatment protocols, very easy to understand information that you can then take back with your doctor and start a conversation about developing a treatment plan that's going to work best for you. Um, Hyperemesis can be a really miserable condition and you really, and I know it sucks because in the midst of not feeling great, you have to do all this, that, and the other, uh, like looking for information. But this is what I love so much about their website is that they really put it 
in a format that is easy for you to use, easy for you to print out, easy for you to take back to your doctor and have that conversation so you can get the absolute best care that you need. And then also remember, as I said, community can also be an important part, just having supportive folks around you. And that can include virtual community too. So I would love to have you inside my Facebook group, the All About Pregnancy and Birth Inner Circle community. It's facebook.com forward slash groups for slash Dr. Nicole Rankins. I would love to see you there. All right, so there you have it. Do me a solid, share this podcast with a friend. Sharing is caring and helps me to reach and serve more pregnant folks. Also be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to me right now. Leave an honest review in Apple Podcast. It helps other women to find the show or shoot me a DM on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. I love to hear what you think about the show. Love if you have new show ideas as well. And also I post tons of great information and content on Instagram too. That's again, Dr. Nicole Rankins where I'm there. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.